Well, good morning, Westridge. It is true, it's a holiday weekend. It is true, I'm starting a new series. The good news is it's only a two-parter. And, uh, and by the way, thank you for the fake applause when Greg announced that I was starting this. It was polite, it's polite, but I can take it, I can take it. Uh, you know, but if I'm doing a series, I like to get a pre-commitment that you're going to attend the entire series. In this case, it's only a two-parter, so you're 50% of the way there. How many are going to attend the whole series? Okay, like like to thank my wife and Greg for uh, agreeing to that. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for travel tips. For me, travel usually means business, not pleasure. So when I start thinking about driving down the interstate with texting distracted drivers, and you know who you are, seen you out there, got pictures. Uh, Or going to the airport, stripping down to get through security, and then sitting in an airplane seat designed by someone who should be on trial for crimes against humanity at The Hague. And I don't know what there is about me that make security agents think I look like the underwear bomber. So, do I have to tell you, when I start to think about travel, I start to tense up just a little bit. And so if someone has a tip that makes travel easier, less stressful, more efficient, I'm all ears. A few years ago, a car company had a TV ad that I thought was exceptionally clever. It said simply this, life is a journey, enjoy the ride. Now, I'll go along with the life is a journey thing, but what determines if we enjoy the ride? That's sort of my question for this series. It's a pretty important one, right? And so, as a result, today and next week, did I mention it's a two-part series? And all of you are going to be there next week? We're going to look at two Bible characters that navigated their rather exceptional journeys amazingly. So here's the big takeaway tip to enjoy the journey of life. It has to do with the quality and kind of decisions that you make along the journey. Because along life's journey, we face forks in the road that confront us with decisions that are more than a preference, more than convenience. We have a sense at the time that there's a moral involved, and it's a matter of obedience or disobedience. And we remember that from childhood when we were told to stay in the house and we snuck out, or we were told to leave those cookies alone, they were hot and they were... but. Wait until after dinner, and you know what you did. You stole one of those cookies, and you stuffed it in your, your fat thing. Not that I ever did that or thought about that. But I know you did. Well, it turns out disobedience doesn't stop in childhood. Throughout our journey, we're confronted with decisions. Decisions that we know on the front end are labeled obedience or disobedience. Times when we knew the rules... We knew the consequences, and yet we chose to disobey. And sometimes, as a result of one of those disobedient decisions, our life careens off in a totally unpredictable direction. And we wake up wondering, how did I get here? This is not a place I want to be on the journey of life. And so when it comes to driving down the road of life, one of the ways to make better decisions is to be obedient in faith, to what you know God wants you to do. Kind of simple, huh? 
We live by faith and we obey by faith. You've probably heard of our character today. His name is Noah. And the Bible says this about him. By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see. And he acted on what he was told. The result? His family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. As a result, Noah became intimate with God. So for us, Noah is going to illustrate the kind of obedient faith that's going to enable us to keep our head above the water. So I want to highlight some characteristics of obedient faith and make a few applications for us in our journey along the way. Are we ready to do that? You're almost halfway through the two-part series. Characteristic of obedient faith, number one. Obedient faith responds before it starts to rain. Some decisions are very time-sensitive. The consequences change if the decision is not made in the time frame in which it's supposed to be made. And in our case here with Noah, he began building his ark 120 years before it started to rain. And he needed every one of those 120 years to complete the job. His decision to build one year later would have given him 119 years to build, and he would have been one year short. The Bible says this, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. If you can see it, it's not faith. That's why I say Obedient faith. And so how about Noah? He dropped what he was doing and he built a boat miles from any ocean. In all likelihood, he didn't even know too much about boats because it wouldn't have been anything in his environment. One of the biggest acts of faith in history must have been when Noah ordered the lumber for this project. In all likelihood... Noah had probably never even seen rain before. He, he doesn't have any cognitive concept of water falling from the sky. And so what did Noah know before this great project? What did he know in advance that would cause him to do this kind of thing? Here's what he knew in advance. God says to him, So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. That's what he knew. God goes on to give him the dimensions he wants this to be. And he gave him the warning, everything on earth will perish. And then he gave him the passenger list. Two of all living creatures. So if I'm Noah, I'm thinking, oh, I get it. Now, this makes perfect sense. Water's going to fall from the sky. Never seen that before. This 20,000-ton boat is going to float. Never seen that before. All these animals are going to ride with me on the boat that's going to float. Never seen that before. My three daughters-in-law are all going to get along with each other, cooped up on this boat for months. There's just so much I can believe, God. You push me over the edge with that one. The wisest man to have ever lived wrote, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, 
before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. If you wait too long to obey, there's little you can do but live in regret. So I'm wondering, have you ever had to make a decision about getting ready for a flood before it started to rain? Have you ever had to make a decision before all the facts were in? Couldn't see all the ramifications in advance. You had to order the lumber now. Or you'd be in over your head later. For many of us, our relationship with Jesus may have started out that way. Or maybe you're still in that process right now trying to figure out where that relationship might lead. Where's my life going to go if I put my faith in Christ? Where's this relationship going to lead? What if that? What if this? I don't know enough to make the decisions. The people that know enough know you never know enough. Obey in faith what you do know when you know to do it. Because once it starts to rain, it may be too late. So here's a little application question for you. What is in your life that you're convicted you need to start obeying now before it's too late? Characteristic number two of obedient faith is this. Obedient faith responds even though nobody else has their umbrella out. Another barrier to obedient faith is that we're waiting on certain circumstances. We're waiting on other people to move with us. And what stands out in this story is that for 120 years, nobody responded to Noah. Nobody. And in the end, it was Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, and let's not forget the rest of the passenger list. The Genesis account sums up Noah's life work this, uh, his, his life's work this way. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And so Noah's step of faith put him out of step with everyone else. And ours may too. I suspect that there was ridicule and scorn in those 120 years. And yet in the midst of this discouragement, Noah kept building. If it took enormous faith to order the lumber, it took even greater faith to stay at it for a century with no tangible evidence from his peers that what he was doing was the right thing. And so, what kind of job is Noah going to get with this on his resume? I mean, it's just, it's just ruining his LinkedIn account. Here's the highlights. I believe in something nobody has ever seen. I have no evidence it's going to happen. Nobody has responded to my message. No one is following my leadership. However, I've got a great collection of animals. Maybe I could, I don't know, open up a zoo if this preaching gig doesn't work out. It's a backup plan. Over the years, I've found people who muster up the faith to order the lumber. But once it arrives, it sits in stacks surrounded by excuses. Any piles of lumber in your place? No one helped like they said they would. This just isn't working out for me. I'm not really appreciated. They don't know how much work I do. All would have been true for Noah. Sometimes we're called to obedient faith, even though it doesn't necessarily feel good 
No one else joins in. And it's hard for a time. The landscape's littered with half-finished jobs started by enthusiasts who quit before God did. Obedient faith follows the task until the end. What is it that you need to obey now, even though no one is apparently going to support you in obey? Characteristic number three. The final characteristic of obedient faith is that it responds because of where it gets you. Now, that may sound a bit selfish, but the Hebrew epistle says that as a result of Noah's obedient faith, responding regarding something unseen, responding at just the right time, responding even though no one else did, it tells us that the result of that is that he became intimate with God, or another translation says he became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. And so what's the end result of obedient faith? Why would I, why would I be willing to endure the ridicule, the hardships, the self-discipline of obeying before it starts to rain, of obeying whether or not anyone else does or not? Why would I do that? Here's why. Because that kind of obedience enables me to have a right relationship with God. And that, after all, is what I desperately want and need more than anything else in this world. The Bible portrays our best efforts of trying to be good enough as not good enough. The standard is complete perfection. And we always come up short in the obedience department. Noah is the first person in the Bible to be called righteous. How do you get that way? He got that way the same way we get that way. In faith, accepting God's perfection or righteousness. Hebrews says, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. By faith, the righteousness of God can be imputed into my bankrupt account. And the barriers break down. And like Noah, we too can have an intimate relationship with God. So what's in it for me? Peace, security, assurance, a right relationship, the melting away of guilt, and rest from trying to manufacture my own righteousness. It's enormously tiring to do that all the time. And how does it happen? It happens when I come to that fork in the road labeled obedience or disobedience and I choose obedient faith. I did something uh, a few weeks ago that um, I was pretty sure would make my journey a little easier. And uh, those of you who fly all the time, you've already done that and you're wondering why I procrastinated so long. I applied to the TSA pre-check program. Have you, any of you already got that? Okay. 
Any of you ever been on an airplane before? <laughs> you know, they don't have the propellers so much anymore. They just, they just zoom, they just zoom, man, they're out in the air and they're going. They're like, Phew. it's amazing. So, uh, <laughs> so, so the primary benefit of the TSA PreCheck is that it puts, it puts me in a different line when I'm going through security at the airport. It's the line that goes faster. It's the line where you don't have to strip off your clothes. You don't have to pull your computer out. You don't have to take your shoes off. It's the line where the security agents don't look at me like I'm the underwear bomber. So you fill out the the form online. You go to an office. In my case, it was in the loop. And they fingerprint you. And they tell you, you will be notified later if you passed. So I'm waiting and wondering, have I been good enough to get in the good line? And then I'm, you know, as, you know, as happens, you start to think back about all the times you weren't good enough. Like the time I tried to sneak one ounce more of shampoo than is permitted. I just couldn't make three ounces work. I had to have four ounces. I had to have it. Clean hair is a priority for me. Or the time I forgot to take my water bottle out. And then there was a time I left my money clip in my pocket when I was going through the naked x-ray machine. And I'm thinking to myself, do they keep track of those things? I mean, there's cameras everywhere. I mean, there's no secrets. There's no, nothing's confidential anymore. And then the letter arrived. It's dated August 25th, and it read, this letter serves as a determination that you have successfully completed TSA's eligibility assessment for TSA PreCheck. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. But there's more. In the letter was a magic number. They called the magic number known traveler number, KTN. And you enter the magic KTN number when you book a flight, and then when you show up to go through security, they know you. You know what they know about you? They know you're good enough to be in the good line. In Noah's day, only eight people had the KTN to get on the ark. That's what obedient faith does for us. It gets us in the good line. And it takes us to places on the journey that we really want to be. Difference is, you can't get your own spiritual known traveler number, SKTN. You can't get that by being good enough. Because when the background check is run for me and you about the SKTN, we come up morally bankrupt. Application denied. But when you respond in obedient faith and you accept the gift of eternal life that Jesus wants to give you, something 
happens. Don't miss it. You get his S-K-T-N. That's the gospel message. This much I know. No matter how different your journey is from mine, I know this. The last journey is the same for all of us. It's the journey from the temporal to eternity. And when that happens, when I make that last trip, I want to be known. Not for who I am or what I've done. Not that impressive. I want to be known for what Jesus has done that I accepted in obedient faith. And with his SKTN, I get to bypass the judgment line. Because that's a line I'd never make it through. I get in the fast lane and I hear the words, enter in, good and faithful servant. So here's the travel tip. For the last trip you'll ever make, before you go, make sure you're in the good line. 